Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. I look forward to sharing the word with you. Uh, if you have your Bible or if you have your bulletin, I encourage you to pull it out now as we stand and read God's word together. Here now from 2 Peter, chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring you up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days of scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by, that, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you remind us of your promises. Thank you that you strengthen us as we await the fulfillment of your promises. I pray that you would bless my, me and my words as I preach, that you would protect us from me stepping to the right or to the left of your truth. pray that you would give us all ears to hear from your word this morning that we would not willfully ignore your word, but instead we would turn our ears towards your word and to submit ourselves to your word. I pray that you would bless this time. In Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This text that I just read is a fairly heavy text, and my goal this morning is to not be so heavy with this text, because this is a text that deals with a pretty potent uh, heresy, really, that was being taught early on in the church. And it uh, deals with denying Christ's return. And as a part of Christ's return, we're anticipating a great judgment. So this is a very heavy text. 
But uh, my goal this morning is not to leave you with heavy hearts, but to encourage us to live anticipating the Lord's return. And to live anticipating the Lord's return by responding to his promises in patience as we await his return in hopefulness and in holiness as he calls to in his word this morning. So I want to say that one more time because that's, a, that's kind of the main thrust that I want to drive home is that as we anticipate the Lord's return, we should be responding to the Lord's patience with us, with holiness and hopefulness. We're going to look at three categories that we see in the text that we just read. And the first is the reminders of scriptures. And we want to welcome the reminders of scriptures. Very notice, scripture kind of tends to repeat itself. That's for a reason. We need to hear these same things over and over again. And we should welcome those reminders. And we'll spend some time looking at that from what we just read. And we also want to see how Peter is challenging the scoffers and the scoffers' accusations with Scripture and the boldness that he takes the word to these challenges to Scripture. So we want to be able to challenge the scoffers. And the last thing is we want to expect Christ's return. And that is a big part of where we want to spend our time this morning is solidifying our faith as we expect Christ's return. It's been 2,000 years. That's a long time. It can challenge the faith of God's people. But we should expect Christ's return. I already mentioned there's some potent heresy that's being dealt with here. We didn't read chapter 2, but we had, Peter had a lot of harsh words for these men that were spreading these lies about Scripture. They were saying that Jesus is not coming back. They're saying that he is slow to fulfill his promises. In other words, they're saying, it's been, in their time, it's been a few decades. Where's he coming? I don't see him. Uh, I don't see any evidence of his coming. That's the accusation that's being thrown out there. Uh, and if, if you have Second Peter, I would encourage you to maybe glance around as, as we work through the text this morning. It, it takes up the space of all of three, three pages on my Bible. And my Bible has pretty large text. So it's not a very long book. Uh, and it's pretty much summarized, though, in this third chapter as uh, we see the purpose of the book and what we just read. And Peter's defending the Word of God. He's defending against the lives of sinful men. The people are saying, it's been a few decades. Where's Christ? And if you've ever been left waiting in a waiting room for an hour or two, you know that feeling of, I've been forgotten, someone's not coming back from me, or if you've been on hold, and after a while you think, should I just hang up, because I may be on hold indefinitely. They may not ever come back. And that, those are small-scale, light-hearted examples. But the people were starting to doubt. Is he coming back? Have I just been placed on hold? Am I in a holding pattern, waiting for someone who's not coming back? Well, that was the, that was the uh, thought process of some of the people that were challenging whether or not Christ was going to return. And so that's the accusation. Christ isn't coming back. And the conclusion of that accusation is, well, if he's not coming back, then I can do whatever I want. This is my life. I can do what I want with it. And so that's the situation that Peter is addressing. And if you've ever been uh, a steward of something, you kind of understand the situation where you're anticipating someone to come back and something's in your care. 
In our case, what's in our care is our lives, a redeemed life that Christ has bought. And we are stewards of that life, and we're to live with holiness as we await his return. But if you've ever been a babysitter or had something in your care that was not yours, you were anticipating the parents of that child to come back, or the owner of the house, if your house is, to come back. And when you don't expect them to come back, your conduct shifts a little bit. You, you begin to act as if everything belongs to you. I have an example of this. Uh, I don't know if anyone in the room has ever heard of Harvey Marina on TV Highway, uh, south of Hillsborough, kind of towards Forest Grove a little bit. And there was a, there was a fiberglass worker that worked at Harbor Marina in the 60s. Uh, in 1962, actually, a storm came through this area, and there was a Texaco Big Friend statue, this 20-foot-tall fiberglass statue. This story's going somewhere, I promise. Uh, there was this 20-foot-tall fiberglass statue that would have been outside of a gas station. It had one of the famous muffler men of the era the guys that they have like a blue blazer on and blue slacks and they come out to your car at the full service stations. But this is a fiberglass statue of that that in nineteen sixty two is knocked over in a big storm in our area. And the owner of the statue brings it to Harvey Marina on TV Highway. And the man, uh, Ed Harvey, fixes the statue. And he waits for a while and the owner never comes back. And few years pass and the owner doesn't come back. And he starts taking the, according to the legend, he starts taking the statue out on Lake Oswego and using it as a boat and riding around the statue just kind of making a mockery of this giant 20-foot fiberglass man that's been left in, left in his care. And he started to assume the owner's not coming back. And then by 1974, he decides to cut the head off of this thing and make a giant rabbit head to put on it. And maybe you've seen this statue, the giant rabbit on TV Highway. Well, that's the story of how this giant rabbit comes to be. And he uses it as a mascot now for his business. Once he's cut the head off the statue, you can be assured he, he knows that owner's not coming back. He would not have cut the head off the statue if he thought that owner was coming back. But now, what was once a 20-foot-tall man is now a 26-foot-tall rabbit standing outside of his business. And he has taken liberties that he would have never taken had he anticipated the return of the owner. Likewise, in our text, if we don't expect Christ to come back, that plays out like that the same way in our, our lives. We start taking liberties that we would never have taken had we really believed Christ was coming back. And that is the situation that we have a few decades after Christ's ascension into heaven. A few decades pass and people are starting to doubt. Is he coming back? Is this life really just mine to live as I please? And now, it's been 2,000 years. Is he coming back? Should we be worried? Should we be good stewards of the life that he's given us? And my challenge to you this morning is to say, yes, yes, we should anticipate his return. And that's what our text tells us as well. We should live anticipating his return, responding to his delay as his patience. And we should wait in holiness 
and hope. And as we do that, we have to continue to be receptive to the basics of the faith. I mentioned earlier, Scripture does have a tendency to sound repetitive at times. And you read things and you think, didn't I just read this in a, another book of Scripture? Didn't it say the same thing? And you can maybe shut off a little bit because you've heard the same thing so many times. But we need the reminders. And we see that in our text this morning. In the first verse of chapter 3, Peter said, This is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And then he says reminder, and then he picks up with that same idea in the next verse, that you should remember the predictions of the Lord's prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. In chapter 2, Peter was having to defend the word of the apostles. He was having to defend the word of the prophets against these allegations, of these the challenges of the scoffing people. And here he's reminding us of their promises. He wants to stir us up by way of reminder, it says. In chapter 1, in verses 12 through 13, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. And, and these qualities being the, the diligent life that we should be living as believers. And he says, I tend to always remind you of this life that you should be living as believers. Though you know them, and the, being those qualities that should be there in the believer, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So he says, I'm going to remind you of this, even though it's evident in your life already. You're already doing this, but I'm going to continue to remind you. Why is that? Earlier we sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I feel like every time I sing, come thou fount of every blessing, I sing that verse a little bit stronger. And maybe it's in my head, but I always feel like the congregation does as well. Because we can resonate with that. We know that we're prone to wander. Even in our best times, we're not above falling. And so Peter is reminding the people of what they're already doing. He's saying, keep up the good work. You're being faithful. Keep being faithful. So when I keep reminding you of these things, don't take it as an insult as if you're not doing it, but just know that you need to continue to do these things. And so he says, I'm stirring you up. I want to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the Holy Prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior. And he says, I think, in chapter 1 he said, I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to keep reminding you. So he says, as long as I live, I'm going to keep reminding you to continue on in your faithfulness. I want to keep reminding you of the sort of people you ought to be so that you will continue to be those people as we await his return, which may not happen in our lifetime. I would say um, we're probably... 2,000 years, what is that, 50 generations in? He didn't come in 50 generations of people's lifetimes. They had to endure their entire lives in faithfulness. And that is very much likely to be the situation for us, that we will have many years of, of toil as we await a new heavens and a new earth. And so we need those continual reminders. And we have to remember that no one's above temptation. Any one of us can easily be susceptible. So we have to be receptive to the scriptures. 
We have to keep coming back to the scriptures regularly, feasting on the word of God. You may be currently doing well. You need this word. You may not be doing well. You also need this word. We all need this word. But how do our hearts hear the reminders of scripture? When our hearts are stubborn or proud, we hear these reminders of scripture and we can either just shut off altogether in our stubbornness, in our pride, we might even shut off a little bit because we think, I've got it. I've already got that. I don't need the basics. I've already got that. But that's not the attitude that Peter's laying out. He's saying, I'm going to keep reminding you of the basics of the faith, even though you're already well established in it, because you need to constantly touch base with your anchor. Because we are prone to wander. Um, that song, Come Thou Fountain of Every Blessing, that verse, Prone to Wander, I think of tetherball. You know that tetherball, and the, you hit the ball and it flies off. And I think of the pole as the Lord in the middle, and the Holy Spirit as that cable. And then we're the ball wanting to fly off, and the Holy Spirit is using the Word of God to pull us back. That's the situation. We should be thankful for the reminders of Scripture. We should be thankful for the work of the Spirit through those reminders of Scripture. And pulls us back because we are people who are prone to wander. We're also people that are prone to deliberately want to hear something and maybe intentionally misread or mishear things, which was the case with the scholars. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares in the church and how you've got a mixed multitude within the, the people of God. You've got believers and unbelievers. That's always going to be the case. But in 2 Peter, these people are a bit more blatantly obvious. These people are taking a pretty hard turn from the gospel. It's not exactly like the wheat and the tares though anymore, because they are contrasting pretty hard against the truth. And, uh, and so it's something that he comes at very hard in chapter 2. He comes at these scoffers. Very, it's a very harsh word in chapter 2. Chapter 3 is a bit more encouraging, and that's why I went with it this morning. But it is a, a harsh attack on the scoffing because it's a very harmful doctrine that's being um, brought to the people. When they're saying that you can't trust the apostles and that Christ isn't coming back, that's a pretty hard turn from the truth of the Bible. And so the people are challenging the authority of Scripture. And so how does Peter come at them? He comes at them with the Scriptures. He gives them an overview of all of the scriptures. He says, you think that Jesus is never coming back? You think that wrath is not real? But let me, let me tell you about the things that you're ignoring in scripture. He brings up Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 2. He brings up the flood, and he brings up the flood again in chapter 3. What happens in the flood? God does a global judgment, but he also provides the ark, and he brings some people through the judgment. And he preserves them. And then he also offers a promise at the end of that judgment. I'm not going to flood the earth again because people are going to keep being wicked. And because of the wickedness of man, I'm going to show you grace. And he, he brings the rainbow as that covenant promise that I will never flood the earth again according because of man's sin. Because he would have to turn around and flood the earth again pretty quickly. I don't know if you remember in the account of, of Noah, 
But it's not long after the flood, you see sin creeping back in through Ham, his son. And then you see Shem and Jacob, they show grace to their father and they restore him. That's a whole other sermon. The point is, sin was still there. Sin is still here. Sin is still here in my heart. Even now, as a redeemed person, I struggle. And the Lord, in his grace, doesn't just annihilate us, but instead, he has offered this world a chance to repent. And that is Peter's argument this morning. But this heresy that's going around, it is destroying people. It's destroying them on an individual level, as they are willfully ignoring what Scripture teaches. It's destroying the church corporately, as they're sucking other people into that. And then it's also blaspheming the Lord, because it is, it is attacking the character of the Lord. As they deliberately misread scriptures. Do we ever do this? If you've ever been in a debate, have you ever maybe ignored some facts that you knew were true so that you could get what you want? That's the situation here. They're ignoring some things that they know are true. And, and Peter calls them out on that. In chapter 3, verse 5, he says, they deliberately overlook this fact. And then he goes on to describe the creation of the earth, the means of the creation of the earth. Then he shows how those same means are used in judgment. But then he also talks about the fact that there is grace also from the Lord. The Lord shows judgment and he shows grace. We're enjoying his grace. Yet the people were using that grace as a foothold to go in and attack the Lord. They were saying, he's not coming back. And as Peter goes on in the chapter, he says, you're mistaking his patience for absence. So let's continue on as we expect his return. In verse 8. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Peter is sort of playing with the words of the psalm we read this morning, Psalm 90. And he's given us this picture of the Lord who exists outside of time, who has a perspective that is so much greater than ours. Uh, we are all temporal people who grow in our wisdom and knowledge. We watch things change. We watch our bodies change as we get older. We watch uh, this whole world change. And our, our perspective is a perspective that's constantly growing and expanding. But the Lord is not like that. The Lord is already infinite in his knowledge. He doesn't grow in his knowledge. He doesn't expand. So we do not have the same vantage point as the Lord when we see the world and when we see time. And even now, as people, we can, we can understand that a little bit. When you're a kid, every minute feels like an eternity. But already now, as I'm getting older, I can't believe that it's already September. And I have to think really hard to think, is it actually still September, or is it already moved on into October? Because time moves so quickly now. But when I, when I was a kid, waiting for Christmas, that month or two before Christmas felt like an eternity. 
Or when I want to do something and I ask my mom if I could do it, she says, one minute. Now, one minute was not always actually one minute. Regardless, maybe it was five minutes. But those five minutes felt like three hours. Our perspective on time changes. And as we grow older, time feels so much smaller. And so Peter says this, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. Just like that. It's, wait, I might have said that backwards. But you get the point. What a thousand years to us, it's like a blink to the Lord. It's, it's just a moment. It passes. And so what we perceive as a great length of time in his absence is just the Lord working out his plan. He's not restricted to time the way we want to restrict him to time. And that's Peter's point. And he goes on from that to show us that there is patience in his promise. In verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's saying, he's not late. He's just giving you a gracious delay on his return. If he came instantly, you wouldn't want that. But this is, this is a chance for repentance. And he shows us the urgency of that repentance by describing it, the day of the Lord, as coming like a thief. Uh, not too long ago, we had something stolen from our house. I left our, our baby's stroller outside. And I had done it before. Um, you get in from a, a walk, and it was hot outside. And I pulled him out of the stroller, walked inside, and left in front of our door, left the stroller out. I've done it a few times, and it was... It was always fine. The first time I did it, I was worried. And I thought, oh my goodness, someone has stolen the stroller when I realized I had left the outside. And I opened the door and the stroller was still there. And so after a while, I become relaxed. And, uh, and I kind of started establishing a pattern of leaving the stroller. But then, uh, not too long ago, I, it was one of those days, it was real hot outside. I came in from a walk, I was tired. I just pulled him in, didn't think about the stroller again until the next morning. And it was gone. Someone had a thief had come in the night. He didn't announce when he was coming. They didn't knock on the door and say, I'm going to steal your stroller. They didn't schedule it in advance. They just slipped in quietly, got the stroller, and got out. And that's the type of description that Peter gives of the Lord's coming. You're not going to expect it when he comes. That's what Peter's point is. I didn't expect the stroller to be gone that next morning. And time and time again, no thief had come. And then instantly, it just happens. And that's the description here. And that is an urgent call to repentance. I have urgency now, by the way. Our stroller has not left, been left outside since it was stolen. Because now I take seriously the fact that it could happen. And that's, that's what Peter is trying to foster in the people. He's not trying to give a negative picture of Jesus coming as a thief. But he's trying to express the urgency of the situation. He's saying, it's going to happen, and you're not going to expect it. So that's an urgent call to repentance. And it is a gracious delay that he's given, which he mentioned in the last verse, but it's going to be a swift return. And uh, if you remember in Jonah, the book of Jonah, 
Jonah has a message that the Lord wants him to give to Nineveh. He reluctantly eventually gives it. And in chapter 4, you see Jonah waiting to see how things are going to play out. And the message that Jonah had for Nineveh was, 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. That God's judgment will come out here and knock all of you out in 40 days. And what do the people of Nineveh do when they hear the message? Do they wait 39, 38 days, maybe 40 days to repent? They repent as soon as they hear the message. Interesting, because they actually have sort of a timeline, and they immediately repent. Yet, our text is telling us, we don't know when he's coming. We need to repent immediately. That's the idea here. But if that great city, Nineveh, the great but evil city, Nineveh, repented immediately, how much more should we repent not knowing when the judgment of the Lord is coming? That's the picture that we have. And the picture that, of this judgment is very thorough. It, it, it's like all of the elements are melted in verses 10 through 12. It's this really sort of graphic picture of everything being consumed. And the picture that he had given in the previous chapter of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's like a little type, a little, little foreshadowing of what, what the end will be, where everything is erased. And there's no hiding from that type of thing. And that's another thing that we should see in the text, is that the judgment is a thorough judgment of the Lord. So it's a very serious thing that Peter addresses. But like the, the flood, the Lord does provide. There's no hiding from a global flood, except for in the ark that the Lord provided. Noah and his family are safe and secure in the ark. Likewise, in this great judgment that he's describing here in chapter 3, we too are safe. In the ark of Christ, we hide ourselves in Christ for this judgment that comes. Because Christ is the judge. What better hiding place is there? There's nowhere else to hide from. This is a total annihilation. When you read this, the heavens and the earth are just obliterated in this text. But we are safe and secure in Christ. So while this is a heavy text, I'm hoping that it will bring you peace, that it will be something that prods you to holy living and in hopefulness of Christ's return, desiring his return. Because restoration is coming. Not only is judgment coming, restoration is coming. Let's now look at the last verse. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so, the people have been challenging the Lord's promise. They said, where's the promise of his coming? And they're challenging it because they don't like the idea of judgment. Here, there's the other side of the coin. Here is the new heavens and the new earth. He's coming back to that promise and saying, this is a glorious promise to await because this is a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Restoration is coming. And it will be a righteous future. And we're called to righteous living in the present as we await it. And that's why in verse 11 he says, What sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness as you await the restoration of all things? And so we also remember the, the work of Christ's salvation as we grow in his grace. 
you can see Peter reminding the people of that as well. In the last verse, he says, this is the last verse of chapter 3, verse 18. We didn't read this earlier. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a time for growth. As we wait in his gracious delay, the time for our personal growth in our own holiness, where we grow in our sanctification, is a time of growth of his kingdom here on earth as we evangelize the world. And it's a time of anticipation of all the struggles that we have coming to an end. As we await in that hopefulness, as we await growing in holiness, we also await anticipating things being better. We can grow tired on this earth. We can grow weary of just the overwhelming thorns and thistles of a fallen world. And what we're reminded of in verse 13 is that we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I don't know about you, but if you ever have a day when you're really tired, sometimes when you're getting up and out of bed, the only way you can get out of bed is to remind yourself, I'm going to get to rest again. I'm going to get to get back in my bed at some point in time and go back to sleep. And here, we're reminded that, yes, there's a, this, there's a lot of endurance called for in the Christian life. But we are awaiting an eternal rest, a better rest. We are resting today. It is the Lord's day, and we come together this is a time of worship, but it's also a time of rest where we bring our troubles to the Lord and we just rest in his word and we rest with the body. But we await a better rest, an eternal rest in the new heavens and the new earth. I want to leave you with this quote from Jim Elliott that's a pretty well known quote. This is something he wrote in his journal. Um, Jim Elliott was a missionary in Ecuador that gave his life in the ministry. And in his journal, he wrote, this is the part of the quote that's famous, and then I'm going to read it again with the sentence prior to it. So you may have heard this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot gain. Sorry, he, he gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Have you ever heard that quote before? Let me give you a sentence before it, because I think it connects very well with our text this morning. One of the great blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. I'm going to read that one more time, because I think it's a, maybe I'm just slow, but I think it's a very profound statement. One of the great blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. As we appreciate heaven in this life, here and now, we were reminded then that he is no fool who gives what he cannot gain to keep what he cannot lose. Our doctrine of heaven will drive us in this life because we know what we gain and we are encouraged by it. As we appreciate heaven, it enriches our lives here and now as we await so Christ's return is a source of great hope for his church. We, we long for that day when all things are made right. But does the day of the Lord make you fearful? 
I know at times in my life it has, that the idea of Christ's return has put fear into me at different junctures. And I was not quick to pray, come Lord Jesus. If the coming of the day of the Lord makes you fearful, I encourage you this morning to place your faith in Jesus as his wrath-bearing sacrifice and life-giving resurrection can give you peace in the day of the Lord. And if you are united to Christ, he will provide for you. His blood is sufficient. He is our Lord and Savior. And we trust that our Lord and Savior is returning. And he will come. And it will be in deliverance and in judgment, both. And so we pray for his wisdom and sanctification. So that when he comes back, he will find us a faithful people, good stewards of what he has given us. Remember the illustration of Harvey? Harvey the rabbit uh, at Harvey Marina. That's an illustration. I'm not saying that Harvey did anything wrong, by the way. I'm not saying he, he deserves wrath of the owner or anything like that. A lighthearted illustration. But will, will, we, will we be fine taking liberties with the life that the Lord has given us? Or will we be found as people who are anticipating the Lord's return? Hoping his return. Glad to see the Lord at his return. I encourage you this morning to welcome the reminders of Scripture. Don't become numb to the basics of faith, but be eager to hear these sometimes very familiar words from Scripture and to challenge the words of the scoffer. Let Scripture be the one that, to interpret Scripture, not your heart. And see through your own desires for lawlessness and to expect Christ's return. He is coming back. And all of our hidden motives and deeds will be exposed. But we respond to his grace. And we repent and hide ourselves in his grace. We do not know when, but we do know that Christ will return. May his word grant you peace, hope, and holiness as you wait for his return. Would you pray with me?